Welcome to Paul Mort Talk Shit. Curious fellow, but I like him. Paul Mort Talk Shit. Paul Mort Talk Shit. Paul Mort Talk Shit. He's a shady character. What's his name? Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to another episode of Paul Mort Talk Shit. Just a big shout out to my main sponsor, who are performance food manufacturer Precision Prep. UK. I've been using these guys for the last uh, few months. And listen, let me tell you something. These guys know how to put meal prep together. They are um, bang on. Like, I'm not going to rap too much about it, but trust me, I've tried a lot of meal prep, meal delivery companies in the past. And these guys are legit. Frozen, take it out the freezer, Throw them in the microwave. Seven, eight minutes later, you've got a sick, healthy, nutritious meal. All the macros and calories counted for you. So listen, I've managed to do a little deal with them for you. Use the code PAULMORT at checkout and you'll get 20 quid off when you spend just 80 quid. Trust me. Let me know what you think. It's precisionprep.uk. Sonny Webster. Weightlifter. Olympic competitor, friend of the show. <laughs> Sounds really weird saying that. And banned for failed drugs test. That's the headline for this week's episode. And I know I always say this, but you're going to love this one. All I've got to say is thank you to Sonny for opening up, being so honest, sharing the challenge of being accused of things like that, people talking shit about you, criticizing you, making memes about you, and just what it's like to compete at that level and what's required. Enjoy. Guys, welcome to another um, episode of uh, this, the, the little old Paul Moore podcast. Today, uh, we are talking shit with Sonny Webster. Sonny Webster, how are you, Mush? Very well, thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me on, brother. Well, hey, mate, my pleasure. Do you know, every time I do a podcast, with uh, guys who are over in Australia, it's like I'm doing, do you know when you talk down a cup through the string and it takes ages to get there? It, honestly, it feels like that because there's always like this massive delay. So, Sonny, I'm going to get um, I'm gonna get right down to business. I'm, I'm always one for asking the uncomfortable questions. So we're, we're going to get to those at some point. Sonny, tell me something because this is something that I've been interested in. And it's also a sign that I probably haven't read enough of your stuff. And I haven't done any research, but when did you discover that you are freakishly strong? <laughs> Bro, I don't think it sounds funny, right? Because automatically you see what I do for a living and you think, fuck, that bloke's strong. But he's Is never been. Mate, I thought you're one of the X-Men. Bro, it's never been an attribute of mine that's my strong point. Even in my sport of weightlifting, if you ask any other weightlifter, is he a strong weightlifter? They'd say no. And it has always been my Achilles heel as a lifter to actually have to focus on getting stronger all the time. So it's definitely something that never came naturally to me. Yeah. And how did you get for how did you get like what was your path into just getting into it? Was it just were you were you one of those insecure kids that wanted to throw weights around? Or how did it how did that all come about? It's it's funny you say insecure kid because that definitely like I guess resonates with me in terms of how I got into Olympic weightlifting. 
And I think reflecting back on it, it was definitely something that would probably I was drawn to because at the time in my life when I started weightlifting, I probably was a little bit insecure. Yeah. Um, I just moved down to Devon in Ivy Bridge to start a new school, um, which was two and a half hours from Reading. I was 11 years old, so it was really? for secondary school. Oh, shit. As you can imagine, an 11-year-old kid moving to a new school not knowing anyone, I didn't have any friends. So yeah. I used to wander the corridors at lunchtime and stumbled across a weightlifting gym oh, within shit. the school. Really? So it was just a way for you to kind of fill in time. Do you know, like, do you know that, that reminds me of, do you know when, I don't know if you do this, but I've definitely done it before. When you walk in somewhere and you see someone that you don't particularly want to talk to, so you pretend that someone's, you ever do that? Where you pretend you're, you're where you pretend someone's calling you? <laughs> I do that all the time. I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't really want to talk to that guy. So was that what it was like for you? Was it kind of just to fill in a gap of just wandering around? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it was probably wanting to feel a sense of belonging at that yeah. point, you know, starting yeah. a new school. And yeah. I think that's one of the great things about about weightlifting is it does give you a sense of purpose and and belonging. And I think that that reflecting on it now was probably something that really drew me into the sport. Yeah. Yeah. So did it start did it start off as like a bodybuilding thing for you or just was it quite literally straight and it just let's get strong? Rather, I was hitting snatches first session. Fuck <laughs> off! No way. Really? <laughs> that was the first thing we did, bro. I was straightened at the deep end. It was snatch and clean and jerk at the weightlifting gym. Um, yeah. There was an Olympian weightlifter there that was the coach, and you know she got me straight into it first session. Wow, dude, so, that is shit. You can imagine what it's like now, right? When you say to someone. I do snatch and cleaner jerk and they go, oh yeah, so how much do you bench? You can imagine how much worse it was 16 years ago before CrossFit was even a thing. No one had a clue what a fucking snatch was. They thought you were slang talking about Fanny. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, I still do. I'm still do. I'm surprised you've... Mate, I'm surprised you've been that politically correct with the word Fanny. Yeah. <laughs> but, mate, so was, it, was it like... Um... Have you have you quite literally been non-stop since then? Or was it did you get to that phase where you're like 16, 17, where you're like, actually, this isn't cool? Or has it always been cool? I think the the thing is there definitely was that period in between 16, 17 when you know girlfriends come around, other temptations, parties, stiffies keep getting in the way. Yeah, all, all of these sorts of things that happened during 16 to 18. Yeah. But by that point in my life, like, which I think is one of the things where, you know, I would pay credit to as to why I continued for so long was I already had a real sense of what I wanted to do yeah. in life. I wanted to be an Olympian. And from the age of 11, when I started, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I think when you've got a goal like that at such a young age, like nothing else was really going to deter me from what I wanted to achieve. Yeah. Amid, just bringing that up now, did you, was it all support for you doing that or was there any resistance and challenge around it? Like there must have been, or was it all support for you? In terms of wanting to go to the Olympics, like, I'd just, say. No, like, just like, you know, like when you're telling people like you want to go to the Olympics at that age and that, surely there was people saying, fuck off, Tony. <laughs> Bro, at the end of the day, we all go we all go through life with great dreams and expectations. And even when someone says, oh, yeah, 
best of luck really they're thinking no fucking chance you know yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. that happens to everyone in life and i definitely think there's probably a lot of people that that did doubt me during that period of time yeah. um thinking about it now but i think it was just always in in my head that that was the only thing that mattered and yeah. i remember being sat once with with my auntie because um i used to play golf and weightlifting um and do them both to a high stand at the same yeah. time yeah and i was in that awkward position in my life where i had to make a decision whether i was going to do weightlifting or do golf and i'll always remember that i might say do you want to be a jack of all trades yeah. and a master of none or yeah. you got to focus on one thing if you're actually going to achieve your goals and yeah. you know i think that was the point in my life i knew that if i was going to do that and really my dreams were going to come true i had to put everything into that thing and what was it what was it that kind of swung the fucking swung the needle if you like towards weightlifting then bro i was still hitting fucking shanks after fucking <laughs> 10 years of weight 10 years ago <laughs> no i think i think the thing is deep down in in my heart of hearts i i knew that the chances of me going to become a professional golfer versus going to olympics no fucker does weightlifting so i had better odds stacked against me <laughs> than in golf so yeah. i think i just put my money where the safer bet was yeah the odds it, were... it is smarter smart decision so me tell me about this because this is always something that's intrigued me like what did you do for fucking money in that while you are trying to go after that because that can't have been easy no, bro, it wasn't. And no one will, uh, no one sponsors weightlifters. But fortunately, I probably found the only man in the world that does. And yeah. growing up, I, I moved out when I was 15 years old um, to move up to Bristol to try and to train at this weightlifting gym that was renowned as one of the best weightlifting gyms in the country called Empire Sports Club. And my dad's my dad helped me move up to to Bristol, and he said for a period of time, you know what, like, I'll support you and whatnot. But I never really had enough money to completely train full time. It was yeah. always going to become a point where I needed to get um, a job. And yeah. I'd probably sent out five hundred letters to different businesses, small businesses, Nike, Adidas, everyone, asking, you know, Do you fancy sponsoring me? I'm a weightlifter, and they go, what the fuck's weightlifting, mate? And, and you know, the, <laughs> the answer would always be no. Yeah. Um, but one one day I walked into the, the car park of my gym, which was in a shit old area of Bristol called St. Paul's. Mm -hmm. And there was this brand new white Porsche 911 Turbo S parked in the car park. And I was like, yeah. fuck, yeah. whose car is that? Like, I've always yeah. been into my car. And yeah. I asked the coach and he said his name's Jeff. He's in the main gym. Yeah. And I walked into the gym. I just said to the bloke, who's Jeff? He said, I'm Jeff. What do you want? I said, fancy sponsoring me? And he goes, well, how much is it going to cost? And everyone sort of stopped to watch the conversation go back and forth. And I was like, well, I need to stay in Bristol a couple more months to try and qualify for the Olympics. And I was living off 200 quid a month. Yeah. Um, so I was like, well, two months, that's 400 quid. And I thought, you know what? He's obviously got some money because he's driving a Porsche. I'll ask him for 500 yeah. and I'll get myself some new trainers. Mm -hmm. And... He looked at me for a minute and he goes, what, a month? And my jaw nearly hit the floor. And I went, yeah, yeah, okay then. Bearing in mind, I've been living off less than half of that. And yeah. sure enough, the next month, 500 quid went in my bank account. Yeah, dude, that's great. By the way, on 200 quid a month, were you just eating like cat food? Or <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, brother. It was not easy.
Yeah, I love it. So how old were you when you went to the Olympics, by the way? 22 years old. I'm 27 now, just turned 27. 22, yeah. And how was that for an experience? Bro, like, whenever, whenever people go, like, what's the Olympics like? The first thing they want to ask me was, was it like a big orgy like they say it is in the papers? Like, that's the first thing people expect. Yeah, that's mad just... because that didn't even cross my mind. But now we're going there. Was it like a big orgy? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's nothing more than probably a Saturday night up north. Oh, really? Oh, so it is a big orgy. <laughs> <laughs> no, bro, to be honest, it's like you, you enter a bubble, which is just this complete dreamland for, for two months. And I, you walk into the village. And you see people that you've only ever seen on TV walking around, doing their thing. And I remember being sat in the food hall, which is like the size of four football pitches with yeah. every type of food you can imagine in 24 hours a day. And Usain Bolt was it would be in there eating his chicken nuggets and you'd have Rafa Dow on his fucking eggs on toast like in the morning. And you're just yeah. like wowed for the first two weeks. I was like a fangirl yeah. running around the village um, just trying to get selfies with everyone. <laughs> who was the most famous person you got a selfie with uh probably probably Rafa Nadal I reckon um he would have been up there he was pretty pissed off as well because I interrupted him at his breakfast but I was thought if there's any time I'm going to get this fucking selfie it's now <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just got a, a selfie of you smiling Rafa Nadal fucking pissed off he always looks me. pissed off though. even when he tries to smile he's like that he does mate ah, he's got the face of a fucking competitor hasn't he yeah, I was gonna, he's a fucking ruthless competitor as well. Mate, so let's um let's kind of fast forward a little bit because I know you've had um I, I remember last year I think you made this post that was about some challenges that you've been having. So let's fucking let's go there. What yeah, yeah. what what happened with this whole thing? So I presume you're referring to my doping ban in twenty twenty seventeen now, was it? Yeah, twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen, yeah. yeah. Four years ago, next month. Yeah. And what were you doing then? Like, what was your, what did your career look like? Because I didn't even know you then. So, so at that point in my life, I was probably I'd just come back from the Olympic Games. I yeah. was in the best point in my life. I really, I was starting to get focused on training for the Commonwealth Games. I thought, yeah. you know what, I'd do the tick off the Commonwealth Games, and that would be that'd be it for me. Um, and my businesses was just setting up. I was traveling around the world delivering seminars and I was driving up the up the M5 to go and play play golf yeah and I remember getting a call from the CEO of British weightlifting and he goes Sonny have you checked your emails and I was like no why should I yeah. and he goes no this is serious mate like you need to check your emails and I was like no go on just tell me what it is Ash yeah and he goes you've had a positive drug test and I thought, like, my initial thought was, like, oh, he's fucking playing with me. Because I knew the bloke, like, pretty well, the CEO waited in. I thought he was just taking the piss. Like. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, the reality of that sunk in. And I, I was driving past Birmingham Airport. And I just, at that moment, I thought, fuck, I had about probably five grand in my bank account. I thought, should I just fucking drive to the airport, get on a plane and fucking disappear? It was like my whole yeah. fucking life, everything that I'd ever known up to that point had just, crumbled in the space of fucking three minutes and yeah. I think the the hardest thing for me throughout the the whole thing when it came to the drug pan ban was that it wasn't something that happened knowingly yeah 
And that's what was the hardest thing about it. Not only that, but the fact that people would have thought that everything that I achieved and everything that I'd sacrificed. Yeah, was gone. And the hard work I'd put in wasn't actually me. And yeah. that they were the two hardest things to, to, to deal with through it. Because for me, bro, if it was something that I'd done intentionally, I would have held my hand up and gone, I fucked up. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But, do you know, like for me, this my morals were worth far more than, you know, than any amount of money or my sport. So I had to do everything yeah. I could to, to prove my innocence. Yeah. But what did, what did you actually do to prove your innocence? Like, what was the, let's talk tactical, because I want to start getting into some things that could help some other people that are having challenges right now, because this is a unique challenge that nobody that's listening to this, I don't think anyway, would have ever experienced this. So, but I also think that we can learn things from other people's experience that would help us so yeah what, what what was your what was your kind of practical things that you did here yeah well i think the the first thing i did was i called the people closest to me that i thought would be able to help me yeah. help me the most it was definitely something that wasn't something that i wanted to suffer and struggle through myself and the first thing i did was had to get all of my tests all of my tests retested to make sure yeah. that it was correct and the yeah. The amount that I had in my system was the lowest dose ever recorded in a human urine sample. And it was a substance called Osterine, mm -hmm. which was, which is a SARM. Um, right. And it was something that 46 other people had tested positive for um, as a result of a drug test. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those tests were due to contamination. So we researched that and found out the likelihood is this has come from contamination, yeah. but we need to find out where the fuck the contaminations come from. Yeah. And at the time, I was taking nothing more than what you'd normally have, your protein, yeah. creatine, multivitamins, yeah. pre-workouts, et cetera. Yeah. And the first thing that cropped up when I was researching other people that had tested positive about this was the fact that pre-workout is one of the most likely things that um it would be contaminated in but up to this point Paul, i'd probably done 60 60 drug tests in my time you know what i mean i know what i can yeah. take and what I can't take as yeah. an athlete yeah um, yeah and ultimately that's always your your responsibility as an elite level athlete is what's in your body you're responsible for yeah so i had all of my supplements tested and because the do dose was so low in my um sample the ability for them to find what it was contaminated in was extremely difficult. And yeah. I about at the time 20, about 28,000 pounds saved up from all the seminars I've been doing. And that's from my, my whole fucking career as an athlete. Yes. And that was going to be for the deposit of my first house. And were you still in and England at this point? Yeah. We're still in England. Yeah. We're still in England, in Bristol. Yeah. And I ended up having to spend all of that money, the whole fucking lot, in legal fees and in these product testing, everything to try and um you had to do all of that on your own, no help from anyone. Jeff helped me. Um my mate. No Jeff help from me. the people who you'd represented at the games or anything. Brother, like the it was it was amazing, like in that period of time, having been in the sport since I was eleven years old. Yeah. And every person within British weightlifting, the coaches, everyone, the people that fucking know me better than anyone and would know that I would never, ever yeah. take a positive, uh, take a 
banned substance yeah it was amazing to see who your real fucking friends were and the yeah, people that really quick. but the problem was right because at that point in my career i was doing extremely well like i said i was traveling and doing the seminars and i do feel like a lot of the people that turned their back on me they did that because they were jealous of where i was at um and they they were quite happy to see me fall in the bit so that they could pave way for them yeah, was that and, one of the most challenging things about the whole experience then? The fact that you felt kind of felt like you're on your own, right? Yeah, for, for sure. I think the people that I expected to have my back and to stand up for me weren't there. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it really showed a lot of people's true colors, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So we're getting all these and, tests, we're not getting anywhere. And um, like, it, what happened after that? When did you make the decision to just go, to go to Australia? So it got to the point where um, it was a week before the um, the hearing. Mm-hmm. And because I had an extremely good legal team that Jeff had put me up with, this guy had just got a fucking, a guy, most well-known QCs in London. I thought, I've got a good chance of being able to prove that this was not yeah. something that happened intentionally. And because yeah. my legal team was so good, the um, governing body, were actually trying they offered me to take a two-year ban um to just admit to doing what i did and i'd get two years but i yeah. was like i'm not going to admit to doing something i didn't I'm do yeah. like, straight up i was like now nah, this is going all the way to the court but they were trying to get us to settle without going to court because obviously it's going to cost them a shitload of money to have a legal team represent them in court mm-hmm. and then the day before the court case they offered me one year ban I'd have to give them information to uh, lead to other positive tests. And I was like, I don't fucking have a clue like who's taking drugs or not. I didn't have any information. So it was mad because they was trying to like give me like one or two years just to like brush it under the carpet. But I was like, no, this has been, this isn't something that's happened intentionally. And I was going to fight the whole way. Mm -hmm. And it went to court. And to be honest, I don't think the court case could have gone any better. Um, like from being in the courtroom, I would have thought, you know, it was clear, even their experts had said that the likelihood is this come from contamination. I thought, you know what, I'm going to get like a six month ban or something like that. Um, because especially the fact that it was an out of hours at a competition test, it wasn't something that I'd impeded someone else's performance. It wasn't in a competition scenario. And it was a test that was um, not optional, but it was outside of my hours. Yeah. So picture this, you give them a, where you are for an hour of every single day. Yeah. And if they, they want to test you, they come in that hour. If they come outside of that hour and you're not there, no problem. They just come outside your hour and you weren't there. You weren't meant to be there. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I know if my doorbell goes at 10 o'clock at night, the likelihood of that being a drug tester is extremely high. Yeah. For me, if I had something to hide, I would not have answered my doorbell. I left, lived on a four, fifth floor of an apartment block. I can see the front door. Yeah. I wouldn't have answered the doorbell. Yeah. But for me at that point in my life, and I always have been, was very much pro-anti-doping and wanted to you know, often show the fact that when I did a drug test, I'd post it on my Instagram yeah. and say, look, fucking clean. And what I do is from my hard work. So. Yeah. There was so much of the evidence that was really in support of me. Yeah. And then it turns out I get an email 
about three months after that and ended up getting four years, the worst possible ban that you can get in, in professional sport for drug tests. And at that point, I, and I'm, I, I, was, I was watching some of your videos the other, and obviously, mate, I've got you. Every time I go in my fucking garage, I can hear your voice. <laughs> Every time I go in the garage to have a workout, all I fucking, I've got, a, Leslie's got a laptop, that's my wife's got a laptop open and you're on it. <laughs> which is creepy as fuck. Was there any point where you kind of lost your love of the lifting itself? Like lost your, lo lost your love of doing what you do? 100%. Um, once after the Olympic Games, um, just purely because I dedicated so much of my life to that one moment, which was a very yeah. selfish and amazing moment, nonetheless. Yeah. But you come back from something that you've sacrificed everything for, pushed everyone that's important away from you yes. to achieve, and you get back from it. And there's no golden ticket. There's no massive paycheck. There's no celebrity status. It's yeah. pat on the back. Well fucking done, mate. On mate, you go. Kind of like, do you know, mate, there's so many people who I've spoken about. There's Tyson Fury was one of them, where it was kind of like he won the world title. Um, and when he beat Klitschko the first time, and he was like, it's kind of like you get that moment, you sacrifice so much for it, you hit it, and then there's kind of not really anywhere else to go from there. Like, it's like deflation, in it? It's, I'll say this all the time. Even when I'm just speaking at an event, I'll come home and I'm just the guy that hasn't emptied the dishwasher. You go from being like a superhero to just back to normal. People say back to normality, but was that was there a sense of that for you then as well? Yeah, well, I think exactly what, you, what you've said then it becomes a point where you realize after achieving all the things that you think are going to fulfill you and yes. give you everything that you ever wanted, you, you actually realize what's important and the things that actually add value to your life and the things that actually yeah. give you a sense of purpose and fulfillment aren't necessarily the things that you're driving all your energy. Yeah. and time towards and i don't regret do you know, doing what i did because do you know, mate, I going think, to the olympic games was everything i wanted yeah yeah and i think that i think that this is this is because what i want to do is, is try and bring it back to like your everyday guy who's going to be listening in and i think that i think every man gets to this point where it's kind of like you you, you you leave school maybe you go to college uni get a job meet a girl have get married have babies right that's and then i think a lot of men get to this point where we're like well is this it that's kind of similar to what you did with you. You sacrificed so much. I want to go to the Olympics, got to the Olympics, and there must have been a point of, well, like what's next, right? Yeah, well, you still feel have that sense of emptiness. And like you said, the, the every person, if you're not going through life with some sort of direction and goal or towards something, then you're very much floating floating. And I, I would suggest that everyone should have something in life that they're traveling towards. Yes. But I think it's being conscious the whole time throughout that journey that what you should be enjoying is the journey, not the thing that you're traveling towards. Yes. And that's that's what's really important because I think we constantly go through life chasing to achieve things and to get to a million quid in the bank account or to drive a Porsche or whatever it may be. And you get to that thing and it doesn't satisfy you like it should because you yeah. kind of missed missed the point yeah you've kind of and i say this in my first book where i said there's no un, there's no happy ending to an unhappy journey right like you, you, you it, and this was the same for me when i when i ended up living in marbella with a villa and the private pool and the hot wife and the two kids and that whole dream life is that i sacrificed 
all of the stuff that I love that did a lot of shit that I hated just to get there. And when I got there, it didn't feel anything like I thought it would. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and I so many that, people do this. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And I think like, you know, even we're all, we're all suckers of it. You look, look at things that you aspire for um, and to have and to people that already have those things and think, fuck, if I'm, I need to have the things that they have in order to feel the way that they do. Yeah. And James, James spoke about it in, um, in his talk the other day when we were, uh, he did a talk in Sydney mm -hmm. and it was just incredible the way that he discussed like the difference between things that make you happy and things that actually give you enjoyment and the difference between the, between the two. And you need luxury things that make you feel good, but also remembering that they're not necessarily the things that bring you happiness. Yeah. And well, look at how fleeting, that thing's a very fleeting thing. It's like when you get your first nice car, it's like you get the car and then in a few weeks, you're like buzzing for like a couple of weeks, really. And then it goes back to just having fucking McDonald's wrappers and empty water bottles and protein cake as well. You take the lid off and it fucking blows your, blows your nose off. <laughs> yeah. That happens as well, right? It's like very fleeting that. And I think that you're totally right about this whole, that process if it requires motivation all the time, I'm like, that's that's not that's the fast track for me to being fucking miserable. Even if, even if you get to that end point that feels good for a little bit. Yeah, well, but like I'm sitting here and, and saying this, but I would still say my my biggest fear is never finding contentment, and I think it's a it's a trait that a lot of ambitious and successful people have because you know there's always that desire for for more mm. and. Like I think it's something that a lot of men will struggle with because they're constantly chasing. And I feel it myself every day. I think like, why can't I just be content with everything that I have already? Which, you know, I've got a lot of things that, you know, I've got a beautiful girlfriend, I've got a nice lifestyle. I get to train each day. Um, and all of these things that actually add, you know, give me a sense of purpose and happiness. Yeah, I'm still chasing, chasing for more. And yeah. that's, do you think that's that happens to people with, with, do you think that happens to more creative people? I think I'm to like, creative sure people. When we're creative, we're, we're, we're always kind of, we're, we're, and I think there's a difference between being content and being appreciative of what you've got, but then also settling. I think there's quite a bit of a difference for that. I don't think a lot of us men that are ambitious, that are creative, I don't think that settling and getting comfortable would last for very long. Yeah. And I'm sure like, I, I mean, I've, I've said men, but I'm sure women feel the same way too. Um, but I think that the thing is for me, like you said, you can, you see people that have far less than outside. I, when I go to Bali and you yeah. see families that, uh, have a little corner shop and probably make less than $2 a day and they're fucking genuinely happy. They've got their family there. They've got a couple of skewers on the barbecue outside their shop and they look fucking yeah. actually content and happy with what they have there. But I think the big thing that, you know, on reflection is to like, well, if they can be happy with that, why can't I? But the thing is we are exposed to what there is out there and what else we're, 
can be achieved and that's the problem and that's why social media is so bad because daily you're exposed to more than what you have yeah and you that's get shown what, what you don't have yeah that's what drives that hunger to not be content with what you've got whereas if you knew nothing about anyone else in this world you'd probably be very happy with the little thing that you've got right now man i agree i agree 100 i love that so let, let's go back to this thing because i remember you made a post last year about um like all of it was quite a fucking deep post saying that all of this is affecting you like people talking shit that's trying to stop you from doing things like what's all what was all that about like what's been happening there I yeah was so i think you back then but I, I didn't have a podcast when you made that post so i couldn't ask you i think that the thing is for me the the things the things that happened after that point where i got my ban there became a point where I had to make a decision that I wasn't going to let this affect the rest of my life. Yes. And I had to draw a line in the sand and move on with my life, yeah. which I did. I accepted what has happened has happened, but I've still got a lot to give and a lot of help to give to people. I motivate and inspire a lot of people. And, you know, it was my duty to continue to do so. And I continued to do so. And I think one of the things was when when things like that happen to people, especially if they're in the spotlight, mm -hmm. naturally they hide away and kind of dissolve in the back. Whereas for me, I like really accepted what had happened and nothing really had changed. So I continued to go about doing what I do best, which is teaching people weightlifting, inspiring people and motivating them. Yes. But the organizations and the people that were that were in weightlifting were like, hang on a minute, you you people shouldn't like you anymore. People mm -hmm. shouldn't be attending your seminars. But because I was so open and honest with people, they did. And they were inspired by, you know, the adversity that I'd overcome. And they wanted to continue to support me for who I was. And again, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And it got to the point where I was touring Australia delivering seminars. And the Australian gyms and organizations were calling up the gyms that were going to host me for my seminar and go, if you associate yourself with Sonny Webster, we're going to ban you as well. Or we're going to, if anyone that attends Sunny seminars that is a member of Australian weightlifting, we're going to ban them as well. And it, people were going out of their way to try and prevent me from doing what I love doing. And that was the point where I'd fucking snap because yeah. it had got like, I never spoke out about it too much, but, but I would deal daily with people sending me fucking hate mail, writing memes about me, trying to put me down. And you know what, for the longest period of time I could deal with it and just go, that's beneath me. I ain't bothered. But yeah. the minute it got to the point where it was impacting my ability to do what I do best, it, yeah. it got too much. And I remember getting a call off my mum where a newspaper wrote an article about me saying, banned drug cheat comes to Australia to do Olympic weightlifting seminars. And I hadn't seen my mum for 13 years. And they just wrote this horrible fucking newspaper article about me and her friends at work showed it to her and i said where yeah, does is, it yeah, this is quite a deep question we, we can't just go over the fact you didn't see your mum for 13 years yeah yeah well i just think at that the reason why i didn't see my mum for 13 years was because when we were younger she had um a bad alcohol problem and bipolar okay. 
and she needed to move back to New Zealand to sort herself out. And we oh, lived in England. Your mom from New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So my we lived with my dad when I was younger, and then yeah. it been, my mom went back to New Zealand, sorted herself out, got clean, doesn't drink any. more she actually went up going back to university and people with similar problems that that she had so it was 13 years between when when we had reconnected yeah yeah so your mom hit you up with this newspaper article and that yeah was and then. yeah well then you know i remember being because james and Durham were over here mm-hmm. and i'd never really spoken out about what I've just spoken very briefly to you about about my band and stuff and like I think a lot of people never really understood what I was going through and James said look I've started a podcast do you want to be my guest and we'll we'll discuss it and I think at that point you know I'd done well this was even before that post that you're referring to but in that post I taught the ins and outs of how I retreated how I felt and I really exposed the organizations for the way that I'd been treated and because of the support and following that I had that James had at that point two weeks later after I said that potentially I would make a comeback after my four-year ban to to weightlifting I get a call from the organizations to say we're going to give you a further three-year ban um, for coaching people um weightlifting so i ended up getting a further three years on top of my four-year ban and my initial ban would have been up a month um a month yesterday um but i'll start serving a three-year ban for speaking out from (laughs) about that as of next month but the thing is mate like like i said my impact now that i have is far bigger than the sport and you know as much as it saddens me to have not done the last couple of things i probably wanted to do as an athlete i'm probably helping and motivating more people now and you know that post of hatred like and frustration came from the fact that you know after being banned for four years and then taking another three-year ban as well for something that i didn't do but remember something that i would have only got two years for if i admitted to doing something i didn't do yeah it was kind of like just let me fucking be with four you three years on from my ban yeah. let me be i won't come back to fucking lifting weights i'm just gonna continue to help and inspire more people than i ever would do in the sport yeah and is that has crossfit been a big part of that because i know mate i swear to god everyone that i know that does crossfit know and know who you are yeah it's been massive part bro like and the reason why i think i gained popularity in crossfit whereas a lot of weightlifters didn't is because during that period of time when crossfit was coming about and obviously weightlifting was a huge part of it crossfitters were doing weightlifting movements and not doing them very well and a lot of reputation for injuries as well right crossfit big reputation yeah, huge. But a lot of weightlifters just ended up fucking slagging off CrossFitters trying to do weightlifting rather than actually thinking, fuck, these guys have only just started weightlifting. It's probably one of the most technical sports to do in the world. Yeah. Maybe instead of fucking giving them shit for being shit, why don't you help them? And that's the thing that frustrates me so so much with like 
fucking people in society. When someone does something bad, people are quick to put them down when they're in a position that they can actually help that person. And that was my approach with, with people who do CrossFit. It was like, you know what? Okay, you're not great. Of course you're not going to be great. You've only just started. But let me fucking help you. And I gained a lot of respect, I think, from people within the CrossFit community because at the end of the day, I was there to actually help and offer advice. And still now with my social media, the majority of the stuff that I put out is yeah. free content to help people lift better. Yeah, yeah. Mate, I'll tell you what. It's um, Are you still – I was just going to say that, you know, it's my favorite video that you do. I've got two favorite videos that I show everyone. And I say the one that I love that you do is where you put where you pick your mate up, throw him up in the air, yeah. and then <laughs> that's my, one of my mate. That's one of my ambitions to do before I'm fifty is pick one of my mates up, put him over my head, and overhead squat him. That's yeah. my drunk heart. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen you do that with a lemur. You pick a lemur up, yeah. I'm sure you drop them right on the beach or something. Yeah. Yeah, I dropped the lemur doing that as well. Yeah, but I think like you know. Sorry, man. Go on. What were you going to say? I was just going with, with that being said. You know, that's that's what I do on social media. I try and make weight in which, in its like most simplest form, is quite ancient and boring, and try and yes. make it fun and interesting, so yeah. it's appealing to more yeah. people. So you don't have to like yeah. weightlifting to like weightlifting. You know what I mean? You don't have to like weightlifting to throw your mate above your head. I love it. Mate, so just, let's talk about this online thing. And I love asking people about this because I tend to talk to people who have, who are, and again, there's a, there's a selfish reason for this. You may, you know, mate, this is a podcast. When people ask me to come on that podcast, I've usually got a bigger following them, following than them. And it's the same with you. Like you've got a big following. I love to ask people this question. Like, are you still getting those fucking snidey comments and those fucking, that, that criticism? Is it still coming your way? Oh, mate, of, of course it does. It, people fucking make meme pages over, pages over me. But I think, fuck me, people go out of their way and waste their time to try and bring me down. And, like, the, I was just doing a post about this this earlier today. Like, time is my most valuable thing. No amount of money can buy me. My time is literally the thing that I wish I could have more of. Yes. And giving someone your time is probably your most expensive currency and people spend their most expensive currency trying to bring me down which is fucking hilarious yeah um whereas you know for me when i give out my time it's again only to the most valuable people or to people that i have care about and respect you know yeah yeah and that's how I go through life. And as sad as it sounds, sometimes like not even to friends or people that are close to me, like ask me to go and do something. I'm like, well, is that going to fulfill me? Like, you know, is that something that I really want to do or am I just doing it because I have to? And sometimes you do have to make those, you know, those hard decisions when it's, when you're talking about something that's more valuable than money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you, do you never get, you, there must be some times where you fucking where it, get, it gets you a little bit. There must be. Uh, what the the negative comments? The, the negative comments and the fucking shitty, all that shitty stuff. Or are you kind of like well past that now? I'm, I'm I'm I think I'm getting past it now. Like I have my my like my ability to deal with negativity is far better than it ever used to be. Whereas sometimes you know when things happen to you. And it fucks yeah. you off and you can stew on it for a whole day and let it build up inside you and get angry about it. 
or you can fucking process it really quickly and get on with your day. And I think like, again, it comes back to that. I'm going to waste a, a day being frustrated and angry about something that I could solve right now, or I could just actually deal with and move on. And I think that that comes down to actually being able to like understand your own emotions. And I think yeah. as men, again, I think women are much better at processing their emotions than men. I think I got to a point in my life where I learned how to do that and understand yeah. And I'm feeling sad when I'm feeling happy and the things that cause that. So that it makes it 10 times easier for you then to actually get back to where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So was so that your, mate, was that your notification going off on mine? Um, I think, I think it's my laptop maybe. I heard a notification coming up. I hope that's not mine. If it's Sonny's, it's all right. But so <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd turn all my notifications off. So mate, let, let's go back to that emotions thing. What does Tony Webster do when he can't be fucking bothered? When he's a little bit because I, I think we all go through all of the all these emotions are transient. You're not happy all the time. You're not motivated all the time. What are yeah. you doing to shift out of those patterns apart from eat? I know, yeah, you, love I think, big, I know you love a big Friday blowout. <laughs> I think everyone needs to yeah remember that that even the the people that you see on social media that potentially live this dream life or are constantly happy and think they haven't got a worry in the world. They yeah. do. Yeah. And the time you'll know when I'm not hundred percent happy is because you won't see me so much because at the end of the day, when I'm not feeling a hundred percent, you won't, like, I won't project myself as, as much. So it's just yeah. that they're the times when I'm not there as much. And that's yeah. purely on the, it's not, it's more from a selfish point of view than, than anything else that yeah. I don't really feel the need to project when I'm feeling down or sad to, to others that, uh, that I don't know that a stranger's on social media, for example, because when I'm feeling down or I'm upset, I'll call up someone that's close to me and, you know, deal with, speak to them and kind of air my, my feelings. And I think one of the best things to do is when you're feeling down and lack of mo motivation is first of all, like look back behind you and see how far you fucking come. Because I think sometimes that's one of the best things for me when I feel frustrated, angry that things aren't going well or, you know, progress isn't going as fast as it should. Mm -hmm. Sometimes actually sitting back and going, fuck, it's only been, it's been less than a year or you look how far I've come. I've done, you know what I mean? You start putting your focus back into the things that you are doing really well rather than the things that are currently yeah, frustrating. Mate, I love it. I love, it. I think, I love that because, because yeah. again, we're often so future based and going after the next thing that you're right. We often compare, and I, I love this saying, we compare actual progress to like ideal progress. So we kind of measure yeah. forwards instead of measuring backwards yeah so that, that's one of the things that, that i'll do that makes me feel so much better yeah. and not only that like having having like goals and actually like a a plan of how you're going to get there because yeah. i think like the the motivation or the lack to get that reason to wake up in the morning disappears again like what we were first talking about paul about yeah. not knowing where you're traveling and if you've got like a clear goal, not only a why as to your deep down why behind what you do, but yeah. a, a road that you're going to travel down to your goal is yeah. an easier to wake up and stay motivated 
But not only that, the thing that helps me so much is because sometimes goals can seem like they're so far away. Yes. You need little checkpoints. And yes. those little checkpoints on the way, they need to be celebrated. And yeah. you need to enjoy them because else it becomes extremely fucking mundane, yeah. regardless of what you do to wake up each morning. And I think that weightlifting is probably one of the greatest analogies to use for that progress thing, right? You're not going to go. So my wife, Leslie, obviously she went from 80 kilos. She's closing around that hundred now, but she's not going to get from 80 to hundred kilo squat in two weeks, right? You no. want to celebrate <laughs> that every time you put an extra kilo on the bar, that's progress yeah. in it. Well, you deal with people with, I deal with people daily, you know, that it's all about lifting more, more weight or improving their technique. But I think people sometimes, everyone will measure success, even in weightlifting or in business by different things. You might yeah. measure the success of your business by how much money hits the bank each month, mm -hmm. or you can measure the success by business about, you know, how maybe your, your staff are feeling or yes. how we've improved communication within the business or the yes. image of the business, all these other areas that aren't numerical, yes. which is still like contribute to the overall progress and success of what you do. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to measure the fact that you've shown up that you've put something out there or you've got to celebrate the fact that you've actually just got a workout done when you didn't want to, even though it wasn't the best. Yeah. Even yeah. if it's shit. And I think, you know, like, that's one of the great things I think for people that like the art of being able to practice gratitude and finding happiness in small things and, you know, acknowledging the little things in life, it works the same in business as well. If you're always looking at, you know, tracking progress through, you know, like the next million or the next thousand Listen, or you the, can't get it. You can't. And again, I'm going to use a, you can't get a PB every workout, right? Your income's not going to no. go every day. But even when I have a shit training session, yeah, and um, what I do, the two things I do is I revert back to an exercise that I'm really good at or I enjoy yeah. or something that doesn't take a lot of thinking. Yeah. And then I think like, because that means for me, I can always leave that session knowing that I've still done something, although it wasn't my best session, I've still done something that's adding to the bigger picture. Yes. And that that really helps me whenever I'm having a having a shit session or it's not yeah. going well. And again, we can put that context into anything. Like I think a mistake that people make is, and this is quite a, a broad thing to say, but people compare every day to their best day. You know what I mean? I think that happens yeah. to a lot of it. It happens in th shit, little things like meditation. They compare meditation with the best ever meditation, and then everything's yeah. in that context frame. Like I think everything is in a comparison frame. Like we feel bad compared to what? That was a shit day. Well, compared to what? My business is doing shit well compared to what? My Instagram following shit compared to what? I mean, I'm sure you get this, right? I always use James as an example because people say to me, obviously, because I've worked with James and people are like, well, I haven't got the following James has. And I'm like, how many do you think he started with? Yeah, started yeah. with zero. You started with zero, right? Yeah. And... Do you know what? I think the, the thing with that and like the more and more people that I speak to now, because I've got consultancy business where I'm helping other people develop, you know, online businesses and stuff yeah. like that as well. And the one thing that I always say to them is they're like, oh, well, I can't do that because someone else is is doing that or someone else is already way ahead of me in that. But yes. there is space 
for you, every listener, everyone that's listening right now, in whatever fucking space you want there to be, as long as you stay authentic and you're passionate about what you do. Yeah. They are the two most important things. You yeah. can sell fucking water bottles <laughs> for all I care. But if you're passionate enough about this water bottle and you're, it's got a point of difference from anything else out there, you'll do yeah. fucking brilliant. Yeah, mate, I love that. I love that because mate, I'm going to put this in a workout frame. So the other day, yesterday, I'm lifting and all I can do is squat, bent over roll and fucking hip thrust, right? Because I've torn my pec and I had the surgery. Mm. And I'm like, do you know what? It was the first lift I've done for about two months. And normally I would hate lifting. It's not my thing. Jiu-jitsu is my thing, right? Boxing yeah. is my thing. I hate lifting. But I loved the session yesterday because before that, all I could do for two months was the, the bike erg. So I was like, actually, yeah. compared to the bike erg, weightlifting is fucking amazing. <laughs> weightlifting is amazing because at least I'm not on the – I call it the devil's dildo. It's fucking horrific, that bike erg. I hate it. Yeah, I the, hate it. the ass bike. <laughs> I think this. I think this. This whole. Uh, this whole comparison frame is so big because, and again, like this, I've been talking to. Um, I've been talking. To, you, you know, Luke's my agent now. We're talking about doing this tour, and I'm like, yeah. fuck me, I'm not going to be able to do this. But then the comparison frame that I'm putting it in is looking at the seminars that James and Darren are doing with 1,500 people, and I'm like, fuck, I'm never going to get that many people. But what I've got to understand is that 20 people in the room is 20 more people than I've had before. And I think yeah. people make this mistake in business to make this mistake in the, the life is that they put it in the wrong com comparison frames are great, depending on which one you put them in. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I think like, how, how would you prevent someone from comparing themselves to, to someone else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, it's kind of what we do. I think there's some kind of inbuilt fucking thing where it comes from probably like when we were cavemen comparing ourselves to the other fucking, the alpha male in the group. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And I think there's two ways to look at it. Like, I'm like, fucking hell. It can either, and everyone says comparison's the thief of joy, but what if it was, well, I'm sure people come to you because they want to emulate you, right? But like, Sonny, can you show me how to do what you've done, right? But then at the same time, some people go, well, rather than how can I do that, they go, I can't do that. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, comparing yourself to other people can be inspirational, but it can also be, um, deflating, right? Hundred percent. I've got this. I've got this friend who's got a. He's a financial advisor, and his business. He's got a business called Save Invest Spend. Yeah. And automatically, when you think financial advice, or when people think financial advice, they think, "Fuck, you must have a lot of money if you if you need financial advice." Yeah. The thing is, when it comes to like, regardless, like, and his big thing is what he does in his business. He help, helps people how to manage their money, even if they've got no money or a small amount of money, because the people that have no money are the one that need more financial advice than the people that have already got a fuckload of money. Yes. And this is the thing. I think when people think about seeking help or with, with anything, they automatically think that I don't need the support or help yet because I'm not good enough. Yes. Where in actual fact, it's most valuable when you're in your infancy or when you're very, very new to something. And that's yeah. kind of the real, the real key thing for me. You know, it's like, even with the people that I help with weightlifting, they go, well, I'm not fucking elite, but you need more help now when you're a beginner than you do when you're an elite person. Well, in the I mean, same I way with harder. I bet it's almost harder to help somebody that's quite experienced than it is to help a newbie. 
probably a little bit harder because you've got they've probably got bad habits, whereas the new people haven't developed any habits yet, right? Hundred percent. But then, it, like I said, with with the money thing, you think how many people would be comfortable to show you their bank balance because they in in fear that the fact if 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 your bank balance says more than mine, well then you must know more than me and you must be more alpha than than I am. And you know, it, people use something like that as a reflection of who they are as a as a person. You could have fifty million in the bank account for all I care. You know what I mean? And, you know, it doesn't make any effect on on you as a person. But the people that look at that from the outside in, the most people that actually don't shout about what they have generally probably have a lot more because they're not using the fact that what, what's in their bank account is a reflection of who they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Tony, what's um, what's next for, for you? What's what, what's going on? Because I love that this question. Like we've talked about past. We've talked about now. What's. And it's a bit of a boring question, but what you what you got going on right now this year? Like, what's your plans this year? Yeah, lots of exciting stuff, to be honest. Um, I guess in terms of my business has always been my weightlifting coaching. Um, we have always had the mobility manual as one of our most popular products within yeah. the my online coaching. Mate, mate, now- I've got to touch on this. Talk about comparison frames. When you're demonstrating that shit, I'm on the floor. Mate, <laughs> I'm like a fucking robot. I'm like, how the fuck? I'm not getting my leg there. Fucking hell. Yeah. I looked back on that this year and I thought, you know what? It's fucking embarrassing how shit some of that stuff is. And when I recorded it at the start, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to fucking do this. I didn't know if anyone was going to fucking buy it, but you know what? I'm going to make a chance and fucking do this. And if it goes well, I'm going to fucking make it and do it better. And a lot yeah. of people don't do shit because they're too scared of it being shit to start with. Well, I look back now at that product and my business and think, fuck, this could be better. And I laugh at it. Mm. And we've now just finished filming for the mobility manual. So it's now going to be its own application and its own business, which is yeah. really exciting. And it's kind of taking my name out of that now and broadening to other sports so that we can help new people. Oh, nice. Um, the academy where I do my weightlifting coaching is soon to again have my name taken out of it mm-hmm. so that I can actually give other coaches the opportunity to deliver their expertise off my platform as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the charity that I've got in Africa, Lifting Dreams Soweto, we're building a roof on the gym out there, which is going to be really cool. Mate, I saw um, that at the weekend and I'd never, I'd actually never seen you post anything about that. No, because the thing is, bro, I think like so, so much people do charitable things in order to get recognition from someone else. Yes. Whereas like, for me, I don't do it for you. I don't do it for anyone else other yep. than the, the people that actually need fucking help. And yeah, that's why I don't, other than to raise awareness of it, I don't need to show you, oh, Paul, I'm a very charitable, charitable work. Look what I'm fucking doing. It's like, no, this is, I'm actually just helping these people out. So let me ask um, you a question then. How do I get involved with that? With Lifting Dreams? Well, you yeah. can go to the Lifting Dreams Instagram and check out, first of all, what we're doing. These yeah. people, like, they started lifting in the dust with absolutely nothing. And I was sent a video uh, from one of the coaches there. And he said, it's my dream to one day send a kid from Soweto to the Olympic Games. And that resonated so much with me having been 
in a position where I had a dream to go to the Olympics and I needed help and someone helped me. So I'm now doing the exact same thing. And that's how fucking good habits work. If you do something good, it has a knock on effect on someone else. And it is, it spreads like wildfire. So I'm doing my bit giving back to these people, but it's become more than that now because we're helping educate the kids, providing them with schooling equipment. So any donations we do stuff like that with and kind of it's gone beyond weightlifting now because we've got the opportunity to give the whole community some real purpose and yeah, that's a so powerful, you know because i think that obviously i work with a lot of guys that are struggling and i think that one of the things that i tell them is one of the fastest ways to get out of a shitty mood and when you're struggling is to actually impact somebody else like make somebody else, make someone else feel significant. The more I make other people feel significant, the more I get to feel significant as well. Right. And, and I call yeah. this, I call this, um, I learned it from my coach called ethnocentric. We'll take our ego out of it. And with, we actually, when we make goals and outcomes about other people or a habit about other people, like um, I'm going to stop drinking, not for me, but for my kids, I'm going to drink less. I'm going to eat less. And I'm going to get in shape to demonstrate to my kids that health and fitness is, something that I take seriously. Discipline something that you need to take seriously. So, mate, I absolutely fucking love that. And I bet you get yeah, a lot. So, I bet you get a lot from it as well, right? Yeah, so it does give a give a lot back to me. Yeah. Um, you know, helping other people. At the end of the day, you can't put a price on helping someone else achieve their dream. And that feeling that you get from doing something like that is is a better feeling than, you know, buying a new car, buying a new watch, any of these other things that, you know, you put time and energy into. So I, I love it. And, you know, there's great people out there that are helping it, making it happen. Yeah. You know, I'm just providing them with what isn't a, you know, a great deal of money to me, but it's having a huge impact on the whole community over there. Yeah. And yeah. I think people forget that it's not really necessarily a huge amount of money can make a, a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, so the the charity is a big thing, yeah. um, and then on top of that, the the clothing, Big Friday supplies. Um, Mate, how did that growing, come that that kind of, Was that a dream of yours, or was it just something that you kind of stumbled into? Like, how did that whole thing happen? Bro, I've always wanted to like I've always wanted to do clothing. I'm into yeah. my fashion, and yeah. I think for me, it was it gave me an ability to be creative and mm-hmm. to be shit at something and to really suck at something and like there's every day i'm posed with things that i don't know the answer to and i've never done before and i love that um about the clothing i'm learning and i'm failing again and like that is something that like we've said before is an appealing thing to someone that's um very determined yeah so i'm just loving loving it's it's an opportunity for me to outlet my passion in a different way yeah um so yeah loving yeah, doing it. that can i ask you a question about something so obviously i've bought yeah. some things from big friday supplies when it lands yeah. and i open the the envelope on the package it's in how does it smell so good <laughs> Man, because of the That's smell and i'm like how the fuck does this smell so good like what's the is there a secret Yours must have been packed by a lovely lady, Paul. They all they all do it in their underwear, actually. Yeah, Men and women. I was like, Sonny like, must have sprayed his aftershave on this or something. <laughs> That's lucky. 
Is it? Was it? I'll was fart. that just pure luck? You haven't got a secret. No, nah, I'll fart in your bag next time. <laughs> Love it, mate. So listen, mate, thank you so much um, for giving up your time. I've certainly had a blast. And thank you for your honesty, mate. I, the, the, I appreciate that. Um, the listeners appreciate that. Where can everybody who hasn't heard of you find out more about you? Yeah, head to at Sonny Webster GB on Instagram. You'll pretty, get a pretty good insight into who I am there. But also join my email list via the link in my bio. Um, again, you'll get a lot more information about what I do, what I'm keeping busy with, and a little bit more of an insight into this kind of thing, my feelings, my thoughts. And, you know, there'll be definitely be stuff in there that's going to um, help everyone that's listening and be extremely relatable. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sonny Webster, for talking shit today. Thank you, mate. Cheers, Paul. Sonny.